you. Good morning, church. Today we're carrying on through Acts, and uh, we're going to be going around the houses uh, a bit, so get your Bibles ready and expect to be going uh, here, there, and everywhere. The first thing I do normally when I, uh, when I get given a passage, we're going to start <clears throat> in uh, Acts 13. The first thing I do is I, I take a look through the, uh, the passage that, I, that I've been given, and uh, I see if there's any particularly difficult-sounding place names or people's names that I'm going to slip up on. Um, and there's loads of them in this. There's, there's, there's only 12 verses, and there's a load of them. So if, uh, if you have any alternate uh, articulation or pronunciations, uh, do come and speak to me afterwards, because I'd, uh, I'd love to hear them. Well, let's get started. So this is, uh, we're starting from Acts 13, uh, verses, uh, chapter, uh, verses 1 to 12. And this really details what, can, what could be termed the first missionary journey uh, that uh, Saul, as he was then later to be called Paul, uh, went on and, uh, and set, set uh, off to. So let's, let's start. So Acts 13, verses 1 to 12. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Nagia, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Let's just stop there. Now, I will, I will, you can easily think of Paul as he is, as this foundational figure in Christianity, a man full of spirit and confidence and aptitude and capability and wisdom. But at this time, he wasn't really seen as the leader in this missionary journey. You know, Luke, Luke makes a point a couple of times to say Barnabas and Saul. Every other, every other thing we read in Acts going forward, Paul is always the first name mentioned, always seen as the leader. You know, if we look a bit further back in Acts, Acts 9, uh, there's a couple of verses here that, that speak a bit about how Barnabas's and Saul, as he was then, relationship was probably at, at this point of time. In Acts 9, we read, When he, that being Saul, came to Jerusalem... He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem. When we read on through the, uh, the next few verses of uh, Acts 13, this first missionary trip, just, just ha- ha- have in mind that, that relationship. You know, they, they, were getting set, they were going to Cyprus, which was Barnabas's hometown. It was Barnabas's patch. And most you know, people have really studied into, in, into Paul, you know, really affirmed that relationship at that time of, you know, Saul really being seen as the junior partner, Barnabas being led out of the church with Saul in, in, in tail. Uh, so let's read on. So this is going from verses 4 to 12. The two of them 
sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They travelled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There, they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for what he for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So Paul had gone from a place before going on this missionary journey, before heading out to Cyprus, had spent a period of time in the, uh, the churches of Antioch and Jerusalem, really growing there in, uh, in, in his sort of stature and his uh, being seen as, as a good teacher, as a good, uh, as a good sort of disciple of, of Christ. And it's here in these verses that we hear for the first time Luke referring him to Paul. I don't think there's a coincidence there. When he's, he's walking, he's no longer just a, uh, a very respected teacher within the, within the churches of Jerusalem and Antioch. But we hear that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's on the front line with this sudden energy, with the power of, of the Spirit. And speaking truth to this, uh, to this magician. Speaking boldness in the places that he's going. And I think in this passage, there's, there's three things that I was really drawn to that show and highlight, demonstrate what the Spirit gives to those that, that call on the name of Jesus, that want to follow and be a part of this great adventure. And these three areas... Paul testifies, not just experienced them, but he testifies about them in his future writings to other churches. So the first one here is strength. When we call upon the name of the Lord, the Holy Spirit gives us strength. And I was, I, I was, when I think about the strength of the Lord, I'm always uh, reminded of um, something that I do uh, on a fairly regular basis. So some of you may know that I, uh, I do what I write and you know, I've performed stuff here and other places or written stuff for other, for other people. And there is pretty much, 100% of the time, a similar cycle that, goes, that happens in this process. So first of all, it, someone asks me to, to do something and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can do it. I can do this, no problem. Yeah, happy to help. Get home. And when I've, got some, when I've got the time, I've got a blank piece of paper in front of me, or I've got the laptop in front of me, and I, straight away I'm just like, why did I do this? 
Why, why, did, why did I say yes once again to doing this? I have nothing left to say. I've got, I look at the screen or the piece of paper, I've got to say, I've got nothing left to say. And I stare at it intently. And this, is, this kind of shows how slow I am. This, this has happened more than once. You'd think I would have caught on by now. But I go and pray. And I, and I, and I, I just pray for the strength of the Lord. The, for just literally for the power of the Spirit just to come on me. Because in my experience, and, and this is literally just pointing to him, everything that you've seen me do over how many years of writing, performing, making a fool of myself and anything like that, li- literally everything I've written, I've done, in, it's, it's come out of me in about 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes. You know, we were at an all-age um, service meeting and... Um, the guys would say, oh, it'd be good if we did like a little skit, you know, two or three minutes. I'm like, yeah, yeah, well, I, 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 I can do it. That, that, I, I prayed about it. I just walked around Tesco getting some milk, and that just came, that just came in, and, you know, I, I got it out. But that, that cycle of just uh, being able to have that, that, the, the right power from the Spirit just coming uh, come upon, upon me, especially just in, 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 in this way around writing, it's something I can actively testify about. That you know, anything I've done, you know, don't, don't, don't give me any any credit because it's literally all from him. And, and it, as I say, it comes out in in a very very short amount of time. But that process, it's not me, um, you know, screwing my face up and trying to do it better or harder or work more efficiently or find a better working practice on how to write. It is purely me just accepting it's not anything to do with me. It's all God, and I just need more of him to come through. There's nothing, I, I, it's that kind of release and letting go that then the strength and power comes. So strength, strength is a funny word. It you know, has different meanings to, to different people. There's, there's three things I want to draw on just around strength. What, what could strength mean? How does it work out? First of all, when you, when you can get the strength, the power of the Lord... You know, it speaks about boldness. You know, just just going just going back slightly. What, what when I was uh, saying how it, this has really affected Paul, and we see in his writings around strength and the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. We we do read in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter three, verses sixteen to eighteen. We read, "I pray that out of His glorious riches." He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now just from my, as I say, from my own experience, that that strength, that power through the Holy Spirit from God, you know, it just gives you such a greater uh, appreciation of his love for us and for his people. So different, ty- different types of strength then. So boldness, number one, boldness. For Paul, he may have thoughts in his mind, first missionary trip, Barnabas seen as the lead, just going to take it in. It's Barnabas' home patch. He has maybe some local links. I'll just pitch in where I can, where I'm needed, where Barnabas might, you know, might sort of give me the word to say, look, Paul, this is your, your ten minutes to, uh, to, to, to shine. But we don't see that. We see a man who is so filled with the Holy Spirit that as soon as he sees 
lies, deceit and darkness. He can't, he can't help himself. He boldly in boldness proclaims, you're a child of the devil. You're perverting the right ways of the Lord. That boldness. He didn't care about what, you know, what had been planned. Perhaps you know, they might have said, oh Paul, you just go with Barnabas for a couple of months, learn, 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 learn from him, see how it goes. Didn't, didn't care about that. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, power resting on him to be so bold, to be courageous. The, big, the, 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 the best example for this, in my, in my opinion, is David in front of Goliath. I, I, lo- I love this passage in the Bible. So you've got David, he's got his slings, he's in front of Goliath, about two metres tall. And Goliath is there with his sword, and, or his spear probably, and his shield. And we read in, in Samuel. So just think about the, 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 bold, the boldness, the boldness on this. Okay. So Goliath looks at David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. And he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And this is David's response to that. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give you the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. <laughs> come on, come on. Where does that come from? Where does that boldness come from? The boldness that we see from, from Paul. The boldness that we see from David. It's only one place. It's only one place. And we have it now through the Holy Spirit. Because in today's world, we need to be bold. We need boldness. In in a very deceitful, untrusting, subjective world where no one really, where no one um, particularly likes the idea of truth, of objective truth, of actually there being a, 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 this is what is right. In this today's world, it's very much, oh, whatever's right to one person is wrong to another. And it's very subjective. That takes boldness and courageousness as Christians to say we don't follow that. We have an ultimate truth. We have an ultimate good and a moral compass through what we read in the Bible, for what we know of our Lord and Father God and what we see and continue to see in the life of Jesus Christ. There's boldness that can come through strength to speak truth to power. To speak truth to the people in sometimes dark and very uh, unsure and mixed up places. It takes boldness and courageousness for us as Christians to do that. Second type of strength, and this is, this is quite specific. And when it came to me, I, wasn't, I was like, well, that, that's quite, it is quite specific, and, uh, but I'm going to go with it and, and see how it, how it lands. But strength to get out of our comfort zone. 
Strength to get out of our comfort zone. So some of you uh, that know me quite well, this won't come as a surprise, but I'm a bit weird. I'm a bit weird, and <coughs> I've, maybe my reason is going to be different from what you're thinking, that why Matt's weird. But anyway, but I am, I am more comfortable doing this and, and, or presenting to a 1,000 people. I'm more comfortable doing that than I am speaking to someone one-to-one. Really weird, really weird. I, am, I think I am naturally a shy person, but I have a raging um, extrovert in me if you ask me to get on a stage or perform or speak or present or whatever. But nat- I think my natural state is quite, is quite shy. Now, what are you about out of my comfort zone? So I could, I can, I, in the past, I've taken that and said, well, that's my personality type. You know, I'm more of a... In most cases, maybe settings one-to-one, more of, a, more of an introvert. And in terms of engaging with visitors or engaging with people at work about my Christian faith, that might be you know, more suited to someone with a more outward-going personality, to greet visitors and to you know, get spark a relationship with them. But it's got nothing to do with personality types. It's everything to do with love and compassion for people. And you know what? We need all types and all different people to engage all different types of people. If we were a church full of raging extroverts, do you know what we would get? We would get even more raging extroverts, and you would just in- you would increase that particular type of people. And you know, if we all, if if in our welcome team, just generally within our church, if we were of that persuasion and that personality, it could put quite people off. You know, so. In your own way, in your own individual uh, personality and the way that you engage and relate to people, don't particularly seek to change that, but seek to increase the motivation out of love and compassion for people to speak to visitors. You know, you may be uncomfortable. You may simply be uncomfortable that we, we meet here in, 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 view of the, in view of the high street. You may be uncomfortable that you look around and not really know a lot of the people and quite a lot of visitors, but it's exciting that every week we see new people, new faces. And I would say in terms of getting out of that comfort zone, relate and engage with people in your own individual way. But know that it comes from love and from out of compassion to want to engage people and to see people keep on being drawn into this church. And if you're, in, and if you're not a Christian and you're here, you know, you've maybe come a few times and still grappling with this whole thing, just going to be open and honest with you. Christianity is not about a comfortable life. You know, Christianity, a lot of, is, is, at the, is at the very least one going to make, make you feel a bit uncomfortable with some of the things that we have, some of the words and preachings of Jesus, some of the countercultural uh, things about, you know, loving your enemies and reaching out to people that you wouldn't necessarily want to talk to. But getting out of our comfort zone for the, for the church that we are, the setting that we're in, for what we've experienced through the people coming through our doors, we need and want to continue, continue to see. And I say this to myself as much as anybody, getting out of our comfort zone and motivated by that out of our love and compassion for people. So... The last type of strength that I, 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 I normally identify with is perseverance. P- 
perseverance just to get through the day sometimes. You know, I stand, I stand as, a, as, as a case in point. So I, sit, I, went, I was being away from work since early Sunday morning, got back Wednesday night, and then um, we, I had to go out for some, like, I had to go out some leaving drinks, and it was no, we had Noah's birthday party on Saturday. You know, no, I, birthday party. When did, I never realised, no one told me that you need to do, like, two or three different birthday parties for, for, for your children. Like, Noah had his one on Saturday for, like, for his school friends, but then his birthday was on Wednesday, so we had to have a little party on Wednesday, and then we had to have a family party after his school friends' party. It's like, no one, like, are we just being too overindulgent? I don't know. Are we, are we, should we just be very, you know... Maybe that's a, uh, I'm just going to parenting course, Helen, and learn a bit, learn, learn how, how to do this. Because at the moment, uh, it's not sustainable with all three of them, I don't think. But anyway, you know, I've really, you know, so I've been away, really, really busy, re- really busy few days. And yesterday night, I literally was like, I can't, <laughs> I can't do this. Like, I can't preach. I feel so underprepared. And God literally just, I felt, it felt more like a, it was like a scruff of the neck saying, well, it's a good thing you're not the one doing it. <laughs> you know, it's him. It's all him. But it's that person. And I look around sometimes uh, uh, to many of you here and, and the guys upstairs, and sometimes I know the craziness of a number of you, your individual lives, the challenges that you've had, and just the, the madness and the, uh, the, the busyness. And just st- I stand amazed at how you serve how you love, how you still want to engage people and give more and more of yourself. And if I didn't, if I didn't know better, I would just say, oh, what a great person. What a great, you know, loving, compassionate person. But I know and I'm encouraged that it's because, for many of you, it's pointing to God. Saying, I can't, I don't, you, you know full well it's not in my own strength. It's through him. So just reflect on that. When, you, when, you, when we serve, when we give of ourselves to the church, to people, to individuals, we, not, we do not just directly bless them with what we do and what we, and what we offer and what God does through us. But by extension, we encourage the rest of the church, not, uh, uh, people maybe that are not even, people that don't identify as Christians, we encourage them by pointing to God. Just as a, it's just a, I suppose, a spiritual hygiene, pointing to God for the strength, uh, for the strength and for the power that, that comes um, through through Him. And I just would rest on on that, you know. Just take time out if you're feeling fatigued about service, about a, you know, a burden maybe for whatever rotor you're on, or for for the people that you have in your lives that are maybe, you know, just uh, uh, a bit of a weight on you. you know, are, you giving, are you giving out? Are you giving out as much as you're receiving? I'm sure that there's some theologian that's done an done a interesting ratio of, you know, if you give a serve for two hours, you should probably, you know, pray for two hours. That's probably not what we want to be going down. But, you know, are you, you know, if you're serving out, if you're, if you're giving out... You've got to be spending time with God. You've got to be receiving his Holy Spirit. You've got to be taking you know, time out for yourself in terms of your own relationship with God to not only serve and to bless people effectively, but to continue to point to him, to encourage the church. And 
and just as a just as another encouragement, you know, if you're still, you know, going through this whole Christianity thing of, you know, grappling with faith and what it means to be a Christian, just affirming to you that you are not alone. We have a Father God who wants to strengthen and empower His children. Now Jesus said when He was on Earth, all those who are weary and burdened, heavy laden, come to Me. You know, becoming a Christian. It's no, no way an easy route. It's going to be uncomfortable. But at the same time, you have got a powerful father who wants to bless and encourage and strengthen you in every part of your life. Whether it, not just within a church setting, but within work, within family, within your relationships. To strengthen and empower you. You are not alone. So, wisdom. The Spirit-giving spiritual wisdom. Paul again writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spiritual words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So I've always struggled, you know, with spiritual, you know, when I think about sort of the wisdom given through the spirit and spiritual wisdom, I thought it was some sort of, I've probably grown up some sort of like superpower, you know, you know, having always the, exactly the right words to say uh, to somebody, you know, having a great, uh, you know, uh, logical understanding of the right thing to do, the right things that the, 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 the right things to be speaking to people. But if I was trying to sort of, I suppose, define that spiritual wisdom, it's more about a relationship. It is. Um, having an intimate understanding of God's word, an intimate understanding of his will and his commandments, an intimate understanding of the holiness of God and being able to identify the brokenness in other people. It speaks about, a, it does speak about a relationship. You know, there's that kind of, what would Jesus do? Having that, that, that intent, that, that kind of spiritual wisdom resting on us is understanding his will, his commandments, his, 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 his word. So then that would lead, because you have an intimate relationship and understanding of God and, of, and, and, and by extension Jesus, that question, what would Jesus do? It doesn't come out of a superpower ordained of, of you know, great, being able to give a great answer, a great logical, intelligent uh, reason, but out of a relationship with God. You can, more, talk, more often than not, understand what would he do because of an intimate relationship or an intimate understanding of his will, of his commandments. You know, I think... Oh, she's, she's 
Yeah, she's taken notice of a party. Like Lisa, well, my wife Lisa's taken notice of a party, so I can, I can speak freely. So I would, I would um, me and Lisa, we've been together since, I think I was 18, she was 17, so, I don't know, 13, 14 years. When I look back at some of the things that I, that I, that I said or kind of thought, that, thought, or maybe thought that she would be happy to do or go happy to go along with, I was... I was, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad that we're married now, and you know, I was a fool, you know, you know. But when I think about the, our relationship, you know, what well, I would understand, you know, in situations, in different contexts, you know, what would Lisa do or advise, or what would Lisa like, what would Lisa um, uh, feel about this, or how would she respond to this? And in a similar way, that that comes through that intimate understanding of her will. Of, of, of who she is. It's come through a relationship that we have. So similarly, it's that relationship with God that allows us to better understand and to be wise, spiritually wise, to his will, to his, uh, to his, uh, to his wants, to his, de- uh, to his desires for his church, for his people. And we, we, we see this, you know, in Paul's uh, ministry changes quite dramatic changes in geographic uh, direction. You know his his adaptability in presenting uh, the gospel and the message, and how he balanced you know Jew and Gentile and, and, and that whole that whole dynamic. You know people would look on look on through his his ministry life and reflect and say, what a wise guy. In the way that he just he seemed to supernaturally know where to where where the places God needed him to be, the words to speak, the the way that he would portray that message, how we would do that whole balancing act. Of course, we have spiritual giftings of words of wisdom that you know would have been planted there. Of you know, for Paul saying, no, "I don't go to there; I need to go to there." But day to day, it's more around that as he builds that intimate relationship with God, he built that understanding, that wisdom of how to react, how to act, how to speak, how to engage. It was foundational in relationship. And us as a, us as a church, you know, as we've got people in here who've, had, who've walked with God for, for, for many years, built up a great, intimate relationship with him. I think there's a part between ourselves sometimes and personally within our marriages where we are where there's a place to ask sort of tough and difficult questions. You know, uh, with spiritual wisdom comes reflection in your own life. What would Jesus do with his time? How am I spending my time? How am I spending my uh, my hobbies, my pursuits, my, my, my gifting, my satisfaction, my happiness. Where is that to rest? And as a church, you know, I think, you know, asking good questions. There's a lot of good stuff we can be doing. There's a lot of good stuff that we do do. But is it God, is it God stuff? I'm not, I'm, I'm not uh, by any means saying that what we currently do is, is not kingdom building, God-willed work. But I think every church... That, is, that seeks out to go to the community, is there just a wisdom there 
an intimate understanding of God's will and commandments, having to be asked for any future initiative or project or, or, or area that we want to get involved with. Because it could just be a good social initiative. It could be good work. But is it God work? Is it kingdom building work? I think having a, having a, a wisdom in that uh, is critical. You know, personally, relationally with each other, and as well corporately as a church. So, the final area, so we've gone through the spirit giving strength, the spirit giving wisdom. And I touched upon this at the start, but the, the, the final thing is authority. You know, Paul was very um, hot on this, you know, when, he would, when people would question where you get your authority, where you got your, uh, your, your right to speak to us as, as a church. And, you know, he, he, one example, he wrote to, to the church uh, in Galatia, for the Galatians. He said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And we saw, and I, I spoke about, just touched upon it earlier, we saw that in Paul, in, in Luke's affirmation to, to the further, for the first time, calling Saul to Paul. Paul not concerned with any preordained, preconceived ideas of status or authority in this missionary, uh, missionary endeavour, but walking in that straight away with the authority that he uh, was given uh, through, uh, by God through the Holy Spirit to step out of Barnabas's shadows. And part of my, uh, part of my job, it's like, it's like this whole idea of authority is something I've struggled with. So I work, um, I work for a company called um, Gartner, and we, um, we give advice and do research for um, senior sort of leaders and, and executives, mainly in IT and technology, but across, across the board sometimes. And when I started there, you know, I was a 26-year-old, you know, fresh-faced guy, and in my first few weeks, I had to go and do a presentation with, another, with one of my colleagues uh, go went into Canary Wharf and it was a bank and we had to do his presentation in front of a guy who, I don't know, he probably had 2,000, 2,500 people report to him and we were basically going to stand there and tell him, you should do this and you shouldn't be doing that and what do you think you're doing doing this? And my colleague and I, so I'd only been in the company for, a few, for about three or four weeks and my colleague could see me pacing and getting very anxious about this and in my mind I was like, how can I go in front of this guy and tell, and tell him what's for? And, and, and my colleague stopped me and said, Matt, just remember, you go with the authority of Gartner. You go with the authority of Gartner. You go with Gartner's backing. You know, and really, and then in my mind, it, it, it switched. You know, it wasn't just me coming up with some good PowerPoint slides of, you know, this is what Matt thinks. This is a great idea of Matt. It was really as an ambassador of Gartner. That's the authority that I was able to, to stand in. And then, you know, I can see a kind of a great, you know, it's an analogy there, isn't there, around we're ambassadors of Christ. We don't stand in our own authority. The giftings that we have, the, the, the great blessings that we give people and the things that we, that we do and say, we're just, uh, we are ambassadors of him. It's, we stand in his authority. We stand and live in, in that status that we have now through him. And as we look through the Bible, you know, it's that authority 
of the Lord that, that makes sense of very strange happenings. You know, Joseph becoming, you know, was a prisoner and then became the second most, profound, uh, second most powerful person in Egypt. He stood in the authority of the Lord in those situations. You know, for, for, for an 80-year-old man in Moses to go to Pharaoh and rescue his people and lead them out, speaking, standing in authority. We've got Josiah, he was an eight-year-old king. But him and his, his auntie and his family stood in the authority of the Lord to turn a whole nation back to God. And when we look at, uh, you know, the disciples, you know, fishermen, tax collectors, standing in the authority of the Lord to, to speak to thousands to, and, and to effectively change the world in quite a short amount of time. It came because, of course, the strength and the wisdom, but they stood in authority. They knew their place. They, they knew their new identity in God, that they were ambassadors of Christ, be able to speak truth and love and wisdom and power. And I just wanna I just want to end just affirming this to us that we have been given an authority through God. And in that and because of that we have we've we have now a new identity as children of God. And that label, that word, being a child of God, that goes before anything else. First and foremost, we here are children of God. Before we are fathers, before we are mothers, brothers, sisters, friends, or leaders, we are children of God. Before any label that you put on yourself, being a teenager, being a student, being a single mum, being an OAP, before anything, we are children of God. Before any label anyone has given you of being worthless or second best or not worth my time, stupid, ignorant, before any of that, we reject because we are children of God. Any, any labels, anything that's torn you down, with just... I want to share with you how God sees you, how God sees his children. These are promises, these are statements, affirmations that God makes about all of his children that reject any, any label, any term, any phrase that has been thrown at you to tear you down. This is how God sees you. You have been justified and redeemed. Formerly in darkness, but now made light in the Lord. Made pure, white as snow. No longer a slave, but set free from sin and death. Accepted and made new in Christ. Called to a life of abundance. Joined to God and one with him. Became the righteousness of God. Blessed with every spiritual blessing. You are chosen, holy and blameless before him, made alive in Christ, seated in the heavenly places, a citizen of heaven. These are promises, affirmations that your Father God makes on you. So for everyone here, whether you've been a Christian for, for 60 years 
or you're still not sure about it at all, know that as a child of God, you should not, you should never discount or discredit yourself. If only we could physically and in our, in our, in our mind, if we could just see how, the, if we could see the face of God, of how when he looks upon his children, a sense of love and compassion and pride, of want and need to, to, to encourage us as we, uh, as, as, as we mature and as we develop. You know, we, we read at the start of, of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 13, when they, it's, they use the phrase, they set apart. Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work that I have for them. You know, being a Christian is exciting. There's work to be done. There's work to be done. Stuff that needs to be, needs to be happening. And God would love for, for it to be done through you. But God won't. God, you know, there, there'll be others. There'll be others. But God would love for it to be done through you. For the work that he has set apart for you. The plan for the will that he has for you. For the people that he has got in his mind that you will bless will talk to, would engage with, that you will just come alongside with. He set that apart for you, for his son, for his daughter. 